welcome to TTM Cast, your sports collectibles podcast, sponsored by SportsCardForum.com, the ultimate in sports card trading and discussion, and sponsored by Diamond Service Grading, fast, accurate, transparent card grading for today's collectors, and sponsored by SportsCollectorsDaily.com. For sports collecting news 24-7, visit SportsCollectorsDaily.com. And now, here's our host, Jeff Baker. Hello, everybody, and welcome to TTM Caster Sports Collectibles Podcast. We talk TTM, cards, autographs, collecting, and a whole lot more. It is season four, episode 24. It is the weekend of June 19th. And guys, you're listening to Nationally Ranked Sports Card Podcast. My name is Jeff Baker. I am your host for the program, talking to you from Boston, Massachusetts, home of the not NBA champion Boston Celtics. And I'm joined by my friend and co-host from Dallas, Texas, Mr. Drew Pelto. Hey, Drew. Hey, good to be here as always. Drew, why don't you let people know where they can find you on YouTube? You can just uh, look up Drew's autographs. That's a youtube.com slash Drew Pelto. Or if you go to my website, dfwgrapher.com, that'll take you to my YouTube, to my Instagram, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. It's all linked right on there, dfwgrapher.com. Well, Drew, we have our, our radio show each week going strong. Why don't you let people know about that? We do indeed. Yeah, we're now on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern as well as Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. Same show both days. So if you miss on one, you can catch it on the next one. But uh, that's going to be on the Sports Map Radio Network. If you check out uh, Sports Map Radio's app, if you don't have one of their stations in your area, you can uh, listen to it live on there. Or if you miss an episode, you can go and download it at sportscollectorsclub.com. That's our website for the radio show. And that's the name of the radio show, Sports Collectors Club. Check it out. We do. We have different content than we have on the podcast. So uh, check it out, Sports Collectors Club on the Sports Map Radio Network. Well, we had, we had, we'll start with, with a downer on the week. My Celtics, we, we, Drew, you and I called it uh, two weeks ago, right? We said it was going to be a six-game series, and, and the Golden State Warriors were going to prevail, and that's what happened. They kind of fell apart. Boy, the I congratulate the Warriors for for playing a fantastic series and they really shut the Celtics down. I don't know how much you w- you've watched the series, but they really shut the Celtics down on in the last three games. Yeah. I didn't really watch any of it at all, but I caught uh, caught the info at least on online and everything. But I mean, that's just, unfortunately that's typical of the uh, Warriors their last few years. So yeah. No, they're, they're a great team. And Steph Curry, I should say Steph Curry is a great player and the rest of the team, they're okay, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to, no, no sour grape today. They were the, be- they were the better team. And uh, it was nice not to have to stay up till midnight to, to watch about the basketball game, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's, it's, uh, we're, we're into baseball. My Red Sox are starting to win. They had a nice uh, win over the St. Louis Cardinals that they almost blew last night. And uh, we're really, we're really into baseball. We have uh, hall of fame inductions coming up and we have the all-star game coming up and then we have the nationals. So, a lot of stuff to look forward to. I just want to wish everyone a happy Father's Day. Hopefully you have a, a great Father's Day this weekend. And it's uh, Juneteenth. My son actually has, works for the federal government and he has Monday off at Juneteenth. So I don't know. Do we say happy Juneteenth? Yeah, we'll definitely throw that out there for sure. It's a big holiday here in Texas as well. I know my wife actually gets the day off on it as well. I I am not that lucky, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, so so Enjoy we'll say that, ha- celebrate it. Yeah. Happy Father's Day. Happy Juneteenth. Um, if you ha- hadn't had a chance to check it out, my uh, appearance on The Cars Life is now uh, airing. It's all airing across the country on the Bally Sports Network across the country. It's also on 
Masson in uh, the Baltimore area is on Nesson in the New England area on MSG in the New York area. Check it out the Cards Life. They're doing uh, their second season starts. They did a show in Boston. And Drew, Drew got to see me at my parents. He, yep. he, he said it, I did okay for a, a, a radio star. Yeah, it was pretty good there. I caught it on, uh, caught a showing of it, one of the first ones there on uh, Masson a couple days ago. So watch that. Yeah, it was pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. So guys, check it out. Send me an email. Let me know. Let me know how, how you did. Uh, Drew, why don't you let people know how they can get a hold of us? Easiest way would be by email. That is ttmcast at, <clears throat> excuse me, take two. That would be ttmcast at yahoo.com. He's such a professional, isn't he? Just <laughs> Even around, if I broke in the middle he, of it. There. He doesn't trip up. He goes right <laughs> into it. He's awesome. How, what's your week looking like? What's that? What's your week looking like? Oh, geez. Well, my uh, band plays a show. It's a uh, Saturday morning. We're recording this. My band plays a show tonight. I'll be talking about that a little bit more in my stamp of approval. But we get a, a 30, 45 minute set, something like that. There as part of this, like we're one of like six bands playing tonight, but uh, we can do that. And then Sunday, late afternoon, early evening, somewhere in there, I'm going out to Frisco. Got the uh, Midland Rock Hounds come to town. So going to go from Midland and Frisco for some autographs and hopefully come out with a few SIGs from that. What uh, team are they? Uh, that's a double A for the uh, Rangers and the A's for uh, Midland there. Oh, nice. Does the A's have any many prospects on Midland? Uh, the biggest one I was hoping for was JT Ginn, but it looks like he's on the DL and somebody has his number right now. So uh, he's not traveling with them, it seems. Um, Austin Beck, I know, just got moved up from high A up to double A. So I've got a couple for him. Um, no huge names at all. Bobby Crosby is their manager, though, former A's infielder. Oh, sure. So. Hopefully Did he win Rookie of the Year? Him. Was he Rookie of the Year? Yes, he was. I want to say maybe 03, 04, somewhere around there. It was in the early 2000s that he won that. But hopefully I'll get a couple out of him as well. I remember back in the day, he was a, he was a hot take on fantasy, to have to draft him on fantasy. I don't think he, he had that one good year, and he was okay, right? He never really, he never really became a, a superstar. Did he ever make an all-star team? I'm not sure. He might have made one, but I'm not certain on that. Yeah, he was just kind of a solid player for a few years in, uh, yeah. on, on those East teams. Well, ha good luck. Have, have fun at that. We have a, a fun show for you this week. I know I always say it, but we have a really fun show for you this week. We have uh, Mike Floyd. Mike Floyd played in the uh, California Angels, Los Angeles Dodgers, and Houston Astros minor league system in the 60s, late 60s, and, and early 70s. And uh, that was kind of a fun, turbulent time in uh, you know, he was out in the, the Pacific Coast League, which is which was right in the heart of everything that was going on in, in the country with 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 Haight Ashbury and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, he wrote a, a new book called Bush League Blues, which, which outlines and uh, uh, highlights and chronicles his time in the minor leagues. And he had he crossed paths with so many future major leaguers and uh, minor league uh, legends and hall of famers and he's a great storyteller and, and a fantastic uh, writer and he just wrote a new book called bush league blues we're going to talk to mike about his time in the minors and as well as his new book so uh, stick around for that next week we have connor walden connor is a young guy he is ceo and founder of buysportscards.com that new marketplace that has over 1.85 million cards in uh on their site now so they're almost approaching two million cards and uh, we're going to talk to connor walden next week about uh buy sports cards.com but this week we do have mike floyd we have all our regular segments as well right drew 
We do indeed. We'll go through Baker's Dozen with all the news in the hobby from the past week. We've got Les Wolf joining us for the More From Less segment, where we'll be talking about autograph authentication, cover making the grade, which is going to be everything about card grading and the uh, grading portion of the hobby. We've got our stamp of approval, where we'll talk about anything that we want to give our thumbs up to from this week. We've got the Vern Rap Minute covering all of the deaths in the world of sports, celebrity, and politics from the previous week. And of course, the main reason why we're here, our TTM returns. Mr. Smooth. Mr. <laughs> Smooth. He's the best. Good job, Drew. Hey, uh, guys, if you want to reach out to us, we, we love getting fe- feedback emails. Uh, if you have any suggestions for guests, if you want to be on the show, we're always looking to talk to fellow collectors. If you collect something, you're into collecting something different. If you're into collecting, you want to just talk collecting. It doesn't have to necessarily be autographs. It can be anything. Uh, we love to talk to sports collectors. So send us an email and the email address is ttmcast at yahoo.com or you can email us uh, text us at, on our text line at 978-729-0662 um we've got as i said we've got a fun show for you coming up here next coming up our first segment which is baker's dozen baker's dozen sponsored by sportscollectorsdaily.com smart collectors turn to sports collectors daily to stay up to date from new releases to incredible collections hitting the auction block news from inside the business of sports collectibles and much more sports collectors daily has it all with no subscription cost sc daily also delivers a live look at the most watched sports card auctions on ebay for every sport sign up to get the headlines in your email for free or just visit the website whenever you like with 16,000 stories in the archive going back 16 years there's always plenty to read at sportscollectorsdaily.com Well, Drew, I almost didn't get the show started off. I was like, I just wanted to keep on going, you know? But we're going <laughs> to yep. go right into Baker's Dozen. Baker's Dozen is uh, kind of a new summary of what's been going on in the hobby. And we're all, we always have a busy week in, in the hobby. There's always all stuff going on. A couple things before we talk We talk uh, news first. Check out my article on TTMing and autograph collecting on uh, sportscollectorsdaily.com. It's a weekly article uh, posted usually on Monday or Tuesday mornings and, and uh, all the old articles are up there. You can check it out, sportscollectorsdaily.com. Check out my article. Also, we mentioned earlier, The Cards Life. Thecardslifetv.com is where you find all the information. The new season has started. It's a Boston show. I am featured in a segment. It is now airing across the country. Go to thecardlifetv.com for uh, exact schedule on when it's going to run in your area. Okay, enough tooting my own horn. Enough tooting my own horn, Drew. We're going to go right into some news. we got a, a kind of a, a really uh, interesting auction item. Yeah, if you're sitting on any box of 2006-2007 Fleer basketball, you might want to look at either opening them up or trying to sell them. They're going for $5,000 right now, and the reason being that there is the chance of possibly pulling a signed copy of Michael Jordan's rookie card out of those. Uh, There's only 23 copies were made and only 14 have been known to be pulled. And one of them just sold this week in a Christie's auction graded at a Beckett 8.5 for $1 million. So if you're sitting on a box of that, maybe consider checking it out. Just, you know, opening it up and see if you might have one of them there. Because, I mean, looks like there's still nine of them that might be floating around out there somewhere. I would definitely, if you had that box, would you open it up? Absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't have sat on it for the last 16 years. I would have opened it probably the moment I got it. Right. But I'm just saying, if for some reason you, you, you stumbled across one at a flea market and the guy didn't know what he had and he was selling it for $10, would 
would you would you would you flip it for the five or would you take the shot and open it up i would absolutely take the chance absolutely no question i would too. i i know i i saw one uh actually yesterday i i just out of curiosity i looked and there was one for four thousand dollars that was for sale on ebay so but it they're averaging about five grand uh Honestly, if I had the extra four, I probably I probably would have bought it. That's how much that's yeah. that's how interested I am in this whole thing. I I didn't know anything about it. Did you did you know about this before? I didn't at all. I mean, I don't really follow basketball that closely at all. So I definitely would have slipped through there. But that's uh, it's definitely surprising. I mean, there are not a whole lot of boxes from that era that are going to be selling for that much. No, I know it's cool. So that that that's really hey guys, we have some national news to tell you. I know nationals coming up. We're what about a month away now, Drew? Right. I, 30, 35 yeah, just, days. Yeah, just over a month. Yeah, so we're uh, a couple things. First, let's talk about the people, the the signers that they've uh, announced. They've got a bunch of new signers that they announced. Some good guys, actually. Robert Parrish from the Celtics and Kevin McHale from the Celtics, both basketball Hall of Famers. Dr. J from uh, UMass. I always say UMass because he's a UMass grad, you know. Yep. <laughs> and obviously the uh, the 76ers, and he played with the Virginia Squires and the Nets. He was a uh, probably one of the top, I don't know, 20 NBA players of all time, wouldn't you say? Easily and potentially even top 10. I think he'd make the Yeah, he was, he was fantastic. He's signing. Uh, Allen Iverson from the, the uh, 76ers, a great guard. Tim Hardaway, who played for the uh, Golden State Warriors, another great guard. M- Mitch Richmond. Uh, Chris Mullen, who was a NBA Hall of Famer, Dream Teamer, is, is going to be signing. Larry Walker, Hall of Famer from, from the uh, Rockies, right? He played with the Rockies. Did he play with anyone else? He played with somebody else, right? Oh, yeah. He started with the Expos, went to the Rockies, and finished up with the Cardinals. Cardinals. That was I couldn't remember his final team. He'll be signing. And uh, Ken Griffey Sr., who doesn't sign a lot. I, he's not a, a big signer. He, he's out there. Is, does Ken Griffey? No, he, had a, he didn't have a 72 card because his first card was 74, I believe. Right. Yeah, I don't need him for that. I do need him on a uh, – he's in the top's all-time fan favorite sets there. But that's going to become a secondary project for me, so I'm probably going to have to pass on those ones. Yeah, I, you know what? I looked at the some of the numbers. They're not they're not too bad. Uh, I think Doctor J was about a hundred two hundred dollars, maybe, um, which you know for one of the best 10, 10 or fifteen best players in, in the history of the NBA is not bad. Um, and that kind of wraps up some of the the signers that will be at the national. We, we Drew and I are, are, are pleased to announce that we're going to have a listener meetup uh, on. Thursday, July 28th. That's Thursday, July 28th. Write it down, put it in your calendar. We're from 6.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. We are going to be at the Boardwalk Bar Burger Bar, which is in the Tropicana Hotel. It's on the second floor of the Tropicana Hotel. It's a kind of a, a neat uh, low-key bar and uh, restaurant, and we're going to we're going to be there. Drew and I will be there. And uh, my wife, I think, will be there. And we're going to have a bunch of, uh, hopefully, some of our listeners there. Maybe we'll have a uh, a trivia contest, a, a, a radio show trivia contest, I, and a podcast trivia contest. I just got some TTM cast T-shirts, so, so maybe we'll be giving away some TTM cast T-shirts. And Drew and I will be sit there, and Drew will sign, sign any autograph you want. He loves signing <laughs> autographs. And uh, we're just going to be there talking TTM, and, and you can show off what you got at the National, talk about what's going on, and good chance to uh, mingle with some of uh, your fellow collectors. Uh, this is not, we are not buying everyone beers. I cannot <laughs> buy uh, 25 or a hundred or whatever, how many people show up beers, but uh, we, we will be, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, you can share a bear with us. Right. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk sports. Maybe we'll have a we'll app, share an appetizer or two and, 
Uh, just have fun. So market calendar, this is our, our listener meetup. It's our first listener get together and meetup at the National. It's at the Boardwalk Burger Bar at the Tropicana Hotel, Thursday, July 28th from 6.30 to 7.30. I'll put, we'll put it, I'm going to put a um, national button on our website uh, this week and we'll put all our national stuff there. We'll put, I think we'll call it Nat, Drew's trip in the national and we'll put all pictures from Drew's trip up there. And if any, all the national uh, news will be up there, anything that, that we're going to be in uh, a couple of booths broadcasting and, and recording interviews and there's a lot of all sorts of stuff, but we want to, you know, we'd love to meet up with some of our listeners. So if you're going to the national and you want to meet up, we'll get, we'll be at the boardwalk burger bar, Tropicana Hotel, Thursday, July 28th, 6.30 to 7.30. And I'm, I'm going to put all, we'll put all the information on our website, which is ttmcast.com, ttmcast.com. Drew, some kid in Ohio struck it big. The, he did, yeah. Um, kid uh, pulled a, this is a one in 20 million odds, basically, of pulling this exact card. But he found the one of one Mac Jones in the 2021 Prism product. And, uh, 13-year-old kid in Ohio, of all places, was able to flip this one for $100,000. The buyer of it then sold for another for $175,000, so he makes a quick profit off it there. But six-figure payday there for a 13-year-old kid that I guess he and his dad ended up splitting it there because uh, kind of I guess the dad kind of bought the box, let him be the one to open it and all that. But still, I mean, that's a heck of a nice, uh, nice payday right there off a single card, especially for a single current card like that. I'm sorry. If I have a hundred thousand dollars, I am not buying a 2021 or 2022 card. Yeah, no chance. I mean, if anything, I'm gonna. I will take a you know, a lower grade 52 mantle or something like that. I mean, you might be able to find like a one or a two for around that price or something, which I would gladly take. But wow, yeah. yeah I mean, think for, how I mean, many cool cards you can get for a hundred thousand dollars. Really, I mean, yes, really good exactly. rookie cards or vintage rookie cards. And yeah, no, no, nothing against Mac Jones, but. Mac Jones has one year under his belt. He might be Gus Farratt, you know what yeah. I mean? And, you know, a, a serviceable NFL quarterback, but he, it, the odds of him turning into Tom Brady and his autograph, one of one card being worth now $175,000, but it is what it is, right? A car, the card is worth what someone will pay for it, right? Exactly. And I mean, it's a volatile market too. I mean, it's a, like you just said, 175,000 today, there's no guarantee that it's going to last. Yeah, and, 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 it could go up though too. So you know, you never know. Which just, just to, to this is kind of off top topic, but we want my daughter and I watched this um, documentary on uh, the Brillo box. It was an Andy Warhol. He made these Brillo boxes, you know, like the Campbell's soup, and you know, he was a pop artist, whatever. So in 1969, this guy, uh, he was just a, a young guy, him and his wife, and they were kind of art collectors and they bought this Brillo box from Andy Warhol. And it was a little, it was, he made two kinds. He made a big, big one and a little yellow one. And he, I bought the little yellow one. They only made, I think 13 of them. And when the guy bought it, he told the, the art dealer, he's like, well, how do I, how can I prove that this is from Andy Warhol? So Andy Warhol signed it, the bottom of it in red crayon. So, it, so Anyway, so he bought the, the box for $1,000 in 1969, and he ended up trading it a couple of years later, but he had pictures of it, with, and his daughter ended up making this documentary that they showed on HBO, so my daughter and I were watching it. Well, and anyway, to make a long story short, the box just sold for $3 million something at, at an auction, you know, oh, 40 man. years later. Yeah. And, and, and what I was getting to, well, why I came around to this is like, how do you know 
that this Mac Jones card 40 years from now isn't going to be worth, you know, a million and a half dollars, or yep. it can be worth $5. You just don't know. You know what I mean? Yep. So it, it's, it, it, I mean, it's fun. It, it's kind of one of the reasons we do it. I mean, you and I aren't in this for the money. We in it, we're in it because we love the cards, but um, you know, at the end of the day, we're not here forever. And these cards are going to go to somebody, to our kids, to, our, to somebody, and they, they, you know, they're going to do what they do with it. So, um, it's you know if if there's a monetary value at the end of the rainbow for somebody maybe my wife maybe my kids i don't know maybe even me i you know five years from now i might say i've had enough of cards true you you could do the same thing 10 years from now you could say yeah. okay i've had enough of cards i want to unload my cards and then hopefully there'll be some value to it so uh yeah, but the this mac jones card just con confounds me i don't i don't know how why somebody would spend all that kind of money even though it was just because it was 101 because it's mac jones i don't know I don't know. I mean, it could be a combination of several things there. It's just, I mean, people are always going to take a gamble on somebody they think is going to be the next big thing. I mean, 2018, people were going nuts on Baker Mayfield stuff. Now the Browns are about to drop him for like a sixth round pick. You could say the same thing with, you know, Jameis Winston. People are going nuts on his stuff. And he ends up, you know, just walking as a free agent and sitting in New Orleans, mostly as a backup for a while. You never know. You get, I mean, then you get the opposite side with Tom Brady. Sixth round pick ends up winning, you know, a billion and a half Super Bowls. So, yeah, you don't know. Yeah, I mean, it makes it fun, right? It's, it's yeah. one of the reasons why we do it. Well, guys, so this is a TTM uh, note. Uh, I saw this posted, I think, on Facebook. And uh, Orlando Cepeda, who um, is still signing cards, he's signing for $20 a card. Uh, and his wife has asked that, um, guys, don't send Orlando Cepeda anything but cards and small pictures, 8 by 10 uh, or smaller, um, because they can't, the, the stuff isn't fitting in their uh, mailbox. And then they have to actually pay somebody to go get this stuff and they're no longer going to do it. So he's not signing anything other than uh, cards and pictures that can fit in his mailbox. So if you send him a baseball or a bat or uh, uniforms or anything big, he's not going to sign it and you're probably not going to get the item back. So this is a kind of uh, buy everywhere, to, you know, to, to guys that Orlando Cepeda is still getting a lot of requests. He's still signing. You got to remember, he's an older gentleman now. He's got to be. He's got to be in his late 80s, early 90s, right, Drew? He's, he's a... I think somewhere in his 80s, yeah, because, I mean, he was he was a rookie in, what, 59 or thereabouts? So he would yeah, be 58. born in, yeah, so he'd be born in at least 1940 and probably before that. So you're talking, yeah, 80, 80 plus years old there. Yeah, so just be considerate, uh, you know, send one or two cards, uh, send the $20 per card. Uh, you know, he's obviously, he's earning money for his family or for himself or whatever. And he's been very gracious to sign. I know Drew and I both got cards signed by him fairly quickly turn around. Um, so if you're sending anything to Orlando Spader TTM, make sure you just send cards and pictures and make sure you send the $20 per uh, request. Don't send balls in any, uh, anything that, that fits big because it's not going to fit in his, um, in his mailbox. That's just a, a little note for our fellow TTMers. Drew, a lot of money going out. There is, yeah, just uh, came out this week about Tops and Panini's payments to the Players Association in a couple sports. Major League Baseball got $28.6 million for the uh, Players Association from Tops in 2021. Panini to the NFLPA, $27 million. So a uh, lot of money going around. I mean, we always talk about you know how much money is on kind of the hobbyists and the investors side of things. On the industry side, it is even bigger. I mean, that's, you know, just between two companies and two leagues, that's over $55 million right there changing hands. 
Yep. That's why you guys are paying three hundred dollars for for hobby boxes and fifty dollars for blaster boxes because there's a lot of money being spent out by the the manufacturers of the cards to, for rights fees and uh, you know everyone wants their piece of the pie, so to speak. And and you know in essence they're they're you know it's a business. We love it's a hobby to us, but it's a business to them. So um you know there is a lot of money going out and talking speaking about new releases a bunch of new releases we want to let everyone know about uh on june 10th uh, absolute baseball came out uh you get two relics two autos one numbered insert and uh two 10 pack cards per box for 150 dollars. which you know what i've seen a couple of breaks on it the, the inserts and the autographs are good it's it's not it's not a bad product i was a little I'm usually a thumbs down on, on absolute baseball because it doesn't have the logos on it, but Panini did a good job. They, they stepped up to the plate. There's all sorts of cool, good inserts. There's, there's books in there and there's all sorts of cool stuff. So $150 per box is not a, not a bad price uh, for absolute baseball uh, that just came out. Yeah. Um, Panini with another big product hitting the shelves this week. We mentioned earlier with the uh, one of one Mac Jones being pulled, but we now have Prism 2021 football blaster boxes are available. Uh, 35 to 45 bucks a box if you're able to find them. They're kind of tough to find right now, it appears. But uh, you get nine packs or six packs, excuse me, per box and four cards per pack. So 24 cards in there, 35 to 40 bucks, not too bad of a price right there. And I mean, you're not going to get a one of one Mac Jones anymore, but there might be some other really nice stuff that's uh, still floating around out there. I heard a statistic, I think, on. Um... It might have been on TikTok, but that Target ordered 190,000 blaster boxes, just wow. Target. Jeez. So <laughs> there are, there'll be a lot of blaster boxes out there eventually. I know people are kind of scooping them up, but I think they'll they'll uh, show up eventually. I know uh, I haven't had any luck. I don't know if you've been looking for them, Drew. They're, it's kind of hard to find, but uh, they, they are out there. Um, 2000, this is a real high end product. Um, this is the 2021 Panini flawless football. Uh, I saw a, a, a break of this and the cards, the, 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 the stuff is awesome. Uh, you get one, a hobby box, you get one pack of 10 cards, six on card autos and uh, two to three memorabilia cards in the box. Um, they're going for $9,250, obviously high end. These are the ones that have the diamonds in them and the gems in them. And this, this is like, this is way, they're way below you and I uh, pay scale, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I love seeing those things, but there is no way I'm ever going to be able to afford a box of those. But yeah, it's really cool to see them at least. I agree. Um, Panini also coming out with Obsidian Soccer coming up here, a 21-22 set on that one. You get seven cards per pack, one pack per box, four autograph or memorabilia cards in there, though. That's going to run you about $350. So for any of you... Uh, mid to higher end soccer collectors out there. That's one for you. And uh, yeah, I mean, Obsidian's always a fun product. So I'm uh, definitely looking forward to seeing how those look. I agree. And this one's for Drew and I. They, they just say, okay, Jeff Baker, Drew Pelto, we have we have cards for you. 2021-22 <laughs> Upper Deck Series 2 Hockey. Drew and I love hockey. We are hockey guys. Uh, eight cards per pack, 24 packs per box. There's 250 cards in the set. There are six young gun uh, cards per box, which are the, really the, the, the cool cards coming out of Upper Deck for hockey. This is Upper Deck 2021-22 Series 2. Upper Deck Hockey is now out, and they're going for about $115 to $125. A little more in Drew and I's price range. Yeah, and for anybody out there that's a set collector, if you want to do the math on that, eight cards per pack, 24 packs per box, 192 cards. So 
you're getting a about 75% of that set right there potentially have a single box if the collation's good. So yeah, I would think what maybe two boxes and, and, uh, and a, a couple of eBay fives and you can purchase the You can get the whole set. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, Panini Contenders Optic Football coming out here uh, early next week. June 22nd is the official release date on that. One pack per box, six cards per pack. But out of that, you're going to end up getting two autograph cards, two base cards, one parallel and one insert. So uh Nice selection of stuff right there. It's going to run you $640 is the price tag on that one. So kind of a higher end one right there. I mean, that comes down, breaks out, breaks down to about a hundred dollars a card there out of that. So hopefully hit something big. If you, uh, if you decide to pick that one up. Yeah. I mean, you, Drew and I always recommend these high one, high end ones. Don't you can't, you don't get shut out necessarily. You go on, go on eBay and, and purchase the guys that you like or the teams you like, or, you know, take a shot at a break. It's not, you know, you can go and buy a, a break, you know, these breaks are usually between 75 and a hundred bucks and you, you get a team and it, it's fun. I don't know if you've ever done any breaks through, but it, it's a, it's fun. I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do a million of them, but you know, if there's, there's a, a team that you like or a release that you like, check it out. There's breaks all over the place. Uh, you know, just cause uh, something's going for $9,000 doesn't mean you can't get a card or two to add to your collection. You, you know, you know what I mean? Well, guys, that wraps up Baker's dozen for the week. Uh, when, we're gonna when we return, we're gonna have our um our interview with Les Wolf. Les Wolf um is a hobby legend, and uh, he joins us to show just about every week. We we'll, we talk to him about what's going on in the hobby, and this week we talk about getting your autographs authenticated. Uh, I'm always uh, as a TTMer, I always wonder when I should get my autographs authenticated, who I should uh, get them authenticated by, um, what I should consider. Uh, getting authenticated uh you know if i'm at a show should i purchase the authentication that kind of stuff so we talked to less about that less has been collecting autographs for uh over 60 years so please enjoy my uh talk with less and more from less and now it's time for more from less with hobby legend less wolf the legend is in the building, folks. The legend is in the building. It is time Where? for more. Where? Where? Right here. It's time for more from Les. We have Les Wolf from Les Wolf Sports LLC, our uh, hobby legend that we talk to just about every week now about autographs and collecting and all sorts of stuff. And Les was at the Basketball Hall of Fame for an event. Plastic. Plastic. Oh, I'm sorry. I love basketball that much because we get the NBA finals coming up, you know, tonight. I'm very excited. Les is at the Boxing Hall of Fame last weekend. We're going to talk a little about his trip to the Boxing Hall of Fame. And then we're going to talk a little about autograph authentication. That was pretty good. I'm not very good with authentication, but I got that one out. So we're going to send, we're going to not say authentication too much. But first, Les, how was your trip up to the Boxing Hall of Fame? Long. Long. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a five and a half, six hour drive. Who'd you see? Well, I, I went mainly, my friend and a client is Lou DiBella. And I met, went mainly to see him and hang out with him. So that was really, really good. Um, I saw everybody, Floyd Mayweather, uh, Miguel Cotto. But it, it's always the the people that appreciate it most are the ones that, that don't expect it, that aren't aren't in a line aren't like the Floyd Mayweathers. I mean like uh there was a Bob Yallen who got in it was uh Ron Ron uh Borges who I told him it reminds me of Ted Lasso 
So it was kind of funny, but th these guys really appreciated it even more than uh, than the big names because they don't expect it. And when they get in, like like Lou got in, and you know he was like a kid in a candy store, walking around, signing autographs, taking pictures with people. It was just so so nice. So that that's what you want to see, and that's what you want to hear. When you go to an event like that, do you bring, um, you know, do you are you bringing up gloves and other equipment to get signed, or are you pr primarily pictures, or, or what do you what do you bring when you to go, go to an event like that? Well, I'm a I'm a true hobbyist when it comes to the Basketball Boxing Hall of Fame. Uh, I usually get a program, I have a program every year. I mean, usually there's a couple of guys that are more difficult to to get. Um, unfortunately, Bernard Hopkins was not very amendable to signing, and he seems to have an attitude. Floyd Mayweather didn't really pick up a pen either. He had the Jets and the Giants offensive linemen around him. So it was kind of hard to get close to him. Uh, I'm not that big. Uh, but everybody else was super, super nice. I mean, Sugar Shane Mosley's a sweetheart. Uh, it, it just real, it's just a really nice time when you're up there. So it, it was it was fun. Were there any other celebrities in the, from uh, entertainment or the world of sports that were there as well? Oscar De La Hoya showed up for a few minutes, but he didn't stay long. Um, not really, no. No, uh, it's kind of it was kind of low key. Was how many fans were there? A lot of fans in attendance. Well, it was twelve hundred people at the at the banquet. It was over twenty five Hall of Famers were there. So right. that 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 in itself was fun. Very no. cool. <laughs> well, we're, talk, we're going to talk a little about authentic autograph authentication today. Um, and my, my first question to you is, you know, we're going, I'm going to the, the national, I'm going to get some autographs. Do I, do you pay for the, um, the authentication, you know, the, the extra fee to get it uh, authenticated by PSA, PSA or JSA or whoever's there? Um, is that wor worth the extra, the fee? Yes and no. If you get, if you got like an, if you got somebody in person that, that's, an average guy that's not a big name. I, I would tell people not to get it authenticated. Yet every time I set I set up at a show, or on you know online or on eBay or anything, everybody wants a JSA or a PSA cert or a Beckett cert. I mean that's become they've kind of branded themselves where that, that's what they want. To, that's what they everybody wants nowadays. And you know I can look I look at it two different ways. First way I look at it is that it, it comforts the person that's buying it. They, okay, well, I have a cert from them. If, if they make a mistake, you know, uh, you know they make a mistake, uh, but it's only their opinion. So it, it, it's good and bad. I mean, I personally, I do it mainly for my higher end items. I think it's a must. I mean, if you have anything, and God forbid, if I pass away and my kids want to sell my stuff or my wife, or even my girlfriend wants to sell this stuff. I got to make sure that it, it's certified. <laughs> I, I see how make, you slipped that one in there. <laughs> you got to make sure that it's certified so it makes it easier to sell. When you say high end, what, are we talking anything over $100, anything over $1,000? That's, that's usually my my uh, threshold. It's usually like $100. $100. Um, we, you know, you talked about um, if they make a mistake, meaning the authentication company, um, especially TTM, or if you're you're getting something in person and you've actually seen the guy sign it, um, I've heard of people getting uh, failed because of an autograph because by by an authentication copy, even though they sat right there when the guy signed it. Has that happened to you at all? 
Oh, yeah. I had a Ken Dryden 3x5 that I got signed years ago, and they failed it. I sold it to a dealer, and the dealer asked for his money back. I said, sure. You know, I knew it was real. What's what's your repercussion as a collector? Do you have is there it can you do you say just go to another company or you just kind of fluff it off and and what what would you what would you do as a as a collector? I'll give you a classic example. <clears throat> the last time I was at the Boxing Hall of Fame was when Sylvester Stallone got inducted. And it was a mosh pit. I've never seen anything like about it. 200 people rushing a dais and he's up there on a dais signing stuff. And I got my stuff signed and my friend wanted a glove signed by him. So I handed him a glove and he signed it. And it was, it was the worst crap autograph you've seen. Uh, my friend went to submit it to one of the authentication companies and they failed it. I said to my friend, so give it to me. I'll, I'll hand it in to him and tell them I got it in person. So I got it certified. So it's, it really does matter who, you know, who you hand it into and who you give it to. And you tell them the story behind it. I mean, a lot of times, a lot of the orgasts I have of certain obscure boxers or baseball players, if some of the companies don't have it, I'll let them make a copy of it. So they have an exemplar on their files. And believe it or not, one of the trickiest autographs in sports that I've noticed that has been gotten wrong by almost all the companies at one time or another is uh, Sonny Liston. Because Sonny Liston, Sonny Liston was illiterate. Uh, he could write, but if you ever see best wishes or anything like that on it, it's a, it's a telltale sign that he did not sign it. But he, he has signed some, but mainly his wife did most of his signing. I was, that's what I was going to ask you in terms of TTMing, you know, because most of my listeners are TTMing. Um, <clears throat> do, do you recommend? you know, that threshold of a hundred dollars or worth of an autograph is sending it in and, and who do you recommend sending it into? Um, hundred dollars is definitely the threshold, you know, on up. Um, who do I recommend to, to, to get it certified? Yeah. I think the quickest and the fastest is that de definitely JSA and Jimmy Spence. You know, I mean, they've gotten a little slow to get the letters out but they're wonderful to deal with. Donna is just amazing. Uh, his whole staff did this all really nice. Ryan Devine is a sweetheart. Uh, PSA is good too. Beckett is good. And I find more and more people are getting stuff authenticated now. Do you know what the cost, the basic cost is to, to get in? Is it based on value? Is it more to get a Michael Jordan authenticated than Steve Carlton? This this is a, that's a very good question. And I don't even think you, real, you realize the parameters of that question. Jimmy charges flat fees for the authentication. Most of the other companies charge flat fees, except when it comes to cards and autographs with PSA. Like I'm an appraiser. I charge a flat hourly rate. If you had a million dollar collection, I said, okay, you want me to, you want me to uh, appraise it? I'm going to charge you 10% of that. So that's a hundred thousand dollars. Basically, PSA has been charging percentages on certain high-end cards and high-end items, which to me, I don't think is really ethical. It's just like uh, it's ripping people off. And that's just my opinion. You know, I don't, you know, I don't want PSA to come and sue me for this, but I really think that they should just be charging flat fees and not a percentage. 
Do you know how much the the um, um, the other companies are Beckett and JSA uh, in in term in ballpark figures? Because uh, I'm sure you submitted stuff to get it authenticated. Uh, I'm always submitting stuff. Um, as far as a basic cert, yeah, just basic certification. Basic certs with JSA is like ten bucks on up 25 50 75 100 depends most team balls are at least 150 i think um depends on the item like a babe ruth's a little more money um if you want to have it graded which is in which has become a very big thing now when it comes to autographs if you have a a, a jsa 10 that's a lot better than just having just authenticated do you um when when you're buying, do you look for that you know the 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 ten autograph or that in some instances it doesn't really matter and you know you want to get you you want to get that autograph of you know a guy a hard guy like Ken Dryden you just you know you, you it's it's hard to get there's not a lot of Ken Dryden autographs out there does the scarcity of the autograph matter in terms of the the quality of the autograph? Well, I could pay more money if that if that. Uh, Ken Dryden autograph is a mint 10 on a on a puck. Yeah, I can pay more money for that if I think it's a 10. If I don't think it's a 10, then I'd pay less money. Are there um, are, are there athletes that you've seen more recently get um, more uh, fails or more more forgeries out there than than uh, in the past? I know I know the you know the DiMaggio's and Mantles and Williams and those guys they, they they've been forge for a while but is there anyone in the last you know 15 5 10 years that, that there's oh, yes. a lot of forgeries I mean, coming up jordan it's scary how many bad ones i've seen and he's a very tricky autograph and clemente i've seen a lot of bad ones also ruth also for that matter ruth and garrick since the money's the dollars for those things has gone sky high you got to be very careful i mean i tell most people if you want those better you know better guys call up a dealer like myself who has experience and can look around and call other dealers and call collectors that might have that particular autograph that you're looking for. I mean, I had, a, I had a med collector that needed a couple of med balls. I made some phone calls within a few hours. I had the two balls that he needed. I and mean, I've seen, I've seen a ton of um, fakes out there of DiMaggio and Williams and Mantle from, I forget the name of the company that, you know, it has a certification, but, it was kind of from the, you know, from the eighties was, it was a company, I think out of Texas, right. That was, it was a couple of them. Uh, one, of, one of the telltale signs with DiMaggio, I don't know if you're aware of his sister, when you started answering his mail, he didn't know about it. And we, we pointed that out in the seventies and he told, he had his sister stop signing his mail, but the O in DiMaggio, you know, at the ending O. Yeah. It has like a loop up. That's usually his sister's autograph. That's the telltale sign that would tell how it's uh, how it's not good, and Mantle's autograph pretty much is is pretty floor, you know, pretty, you know, fluid. So you got to be careful on on any stoppage, any autograph. Be careful of a stoppage, meaning the pen stopping. You don't want to get ones that the pen, you know, it looks like he's ninety years old when Mantle fluid signature. He went straight through with it. Right. I mean, we're we're uh, TTMers, right? So we're getting a lot of our autographs through the mail. And that's always one of the things that you worry about is if that autograph that you got through the mail is actually uh, the guy that signed it, you know? Like right now, all those Shaquille O'Neal autographs that everybody thinks to get through the mail are not. So he has someone signing them. Yeah. Which, to tell you the truth, with all his money and all his, all his things, like he just, I don't know if you heard about this, he was in a restaurant with a, on a date 
in New York, and he, you know, he's paying for his day, and he decided he paid for everybody in that restaurant and gave a super nice tip. It's like over twenty-five thousand dollars to everybody that was eating that night. So if you went there with your wife, you got a free dinner on Shack. And when you meet Shaq, he, he's terrific. I, I just don't understand, you know, if, <clears throat> these guys, if you're not going to, if you're going to have someone forge your, your handwriting, <clears throat> why bother to even send it back? <clears throat> Excuse me. So, okay, I mean, yeah. that's my opinion. I, I would, you know, if I, if I were Shaquille O'Neal, I would just sign my mail. Yeah. I'd probably take my time when I had time to do it, but I would do it. We're talking with Les Wolf. Les has uh, been in the hobby for over 60 years. He is a a hobby legend you can uh, go to leswolfsportsllc.com to check out all the stuff that he has available in his website it's less w-o-l-f-f-s-p-o-r-t-s-l-l-c.com you can contact less directly at uh, lelwolf1823 at aol.com or you can send me an email at ttmcast at yahoo.com and I'll forward it off to Les. Les joins us just about every week to talk about what's going on in the hobby. We're going to give Les a, the week off and the next week, uh, the following week, we're going to talk about uh, just being prepared for the national. we got a lot of stuff coming up, so we're going to talk a little national, national with Les in two weeks. Um, Les, I want to wish you a happy Father's Day. Thank I hope you, you guys- and all our listeners out there. I also want you to bring up something I don't know if anybody knew. Sure. But the Detroit Tigers just did a signing with Miguel Cabrera. Uh, and yet, you know, he had a sense of money. And so I finished off my triple crown, two triple crown balls, and I got him on four, four or five hundred home run balls. So anybody hears if Barry Bonds is doing a signing, I need him to complete uh, two, uh, two, pro- like four, five hundred home run balls. So, I, you know, at, same as you guys, I still mail out to people uh, to get stuff. In. And you know what the best thing about TTM is? Is when you when you and you go to your mailbox, whether your PO box or your house or your apartment, and you see the mailman come in and you see see some envelopes. It's it's so exciting, so much fun. Whether you're whether you're a senior citizen or a little kid, it's so much fun corresponding and getting the stuff back from these athletes and celebrities or whomever you're writing to. You know, it's fun for me. Is I love getting the the, the big guys. Don't get me wrong. But I love getting the guys that like no, no one ever heard of or the, the fringe guys. Like I just got Golden Richards who played for the, the Cowboys and the Bears was a wide receiver. And I know he's a good TTMer, but I didn't have him in my collection. And he may, he meant just as much to me as Orlando Cepeda, honestly. <laughs> well, you know, that's the fun part of the hobby. You know, and, and, and I bring it up again, it's still a hobby. Because a lot of this stuff, you know, a lot of these guys were getting through the mail, let's face it. Only person that's going to want it is you and me. Most people don't even care or even want them. Yeah, no, I'll give you a name. I I, I just spoke to him yesterday, and we're going to play the interview in, in a couple of weeks. Al Woodall from the New I remember York Jets. Backup quarterback. Yeah, <clears throat> I remember him. And I sent out a TTM request to him. I don't know, a couple couple weeks ago, and he answered answered my. Uh, sent my card back and said, "Hey, Al, I'd love to be on your show." So I just interviewed him yesterday, and he. I was thrilled to talk to Al Woodall about Joe Namath and John Riggins and the Jets and all the, the stuff that, that he had a front row seat for, you know? What did he have to say about Namath? He loved Namath. He thought he, he really, uh, you know, he, he, he enjoyed being part of the Joe Namath circus. You know what I mean? He, he, mm-hmm. he, he thought Namath was a great guy and, uh, you know, it was a great teammate. And, uh, you know, he got a lot of playing time because he played, 
because Joe Namath kept hurting his knees. So, <laughs> well, yeah, at the time he had the million dollar knees. Yeah. So he, uh, he, he, he was a big fan of Joe Namath. He was a big fan of um, John Riggins because he roommate, roomed with John Riggins when John was a running back. Yeah, running back with the, the Jets when he first came up. And, uh, you know, he played with uh, Babe Pearly. Babe Pearly was, was, was his backup. Uh, uh, yeah. When he first came up, and uh, and then he then he played with Richard Todd when Richard Todd was, um, first got drafted. So he he, he was he's there, and we, we talked uh, some uh, some Jet football, which was nice. You're a Jet fan like me? No, I hate the Jets. <laughs> I'm a I'm a Patriot fan, but <laughs> oh my god! All right, folks, I'm just announcing it here now. I'm no longer talking to Jeff. We need a replacement for Jet. Jeff, we need a Jet fan. In oh, there, no, right? my, one of my best friends is a Jet fan, and I called him up. I said, "You got any questions I can ask Al Woodall?" And he's he's my age, so and, he, and he's like, "You know what? I know who Ad, well, Al Woodall is, but I just don't remember him playing that much." So, <laughs> I should have asked you because you could have given me some Al Woodall. I'm sure I'm sure you have an Al Woodall <laughs> autograph in your collection somewhere. Yes, I do, and Richard he, Todd. He was a great guy. Well, Les, thank you very much again. Happy Father's Day. And, uh, we will talk, and, and our listeners also. We will talk to you in two weeks. If you want to send a question to Les, you send it to Les directly at lwolf, that's W-O-L-F-F-1823 at AOL.com, or you can send it to me directly at ttmcast.com. And you can go to leswolfsportsllc.com. Les has tons of great autographs for sale if you if there's somebody that you want as an autograph i bet less is selling because he's got more autographs than just about anyone in the world so check out Les's website he has all sorts of cool stuff he's got uh, mickey mantle and he's got all sorts of uh new york jets and knicks and yankees and all sorts of the, the bad the, the evil empire guys but he also has muhammad ali and you name it he's got it so check check out less wolf sportsllc.com. Les, thank you again. Thank you. I don't have too much uh, New England Patriots, by the way, just to let you know. Do you have a Russ Francis or Steve Grogan? Or... Well, those guys I do have. The older guys I do. That, that guy that keeps on winning Super Bowls, I don't have much time by him. I, you know, he, He's $1,500 just to put his name on it. He's just ridiculous. I know it's, it's unbelievable. I'll, I'll tell you a story about me. By, by, uh, some of my, my friend bypassed him when he was coming up and said, I don't want this guy's autograph. He's a nobody. <laughs> <laughs> you well, never know, right? No, that's true. You never know, especially in sports. All right, my friend, I will, we will talk to you in two weeks. Have a good one. Sounds good. Take care. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Well, Drew, Les Wolf knows more about autographs than anyone in the world i think and it's just great to hear from them and uh you know i've always i'm always uh i have question of what i should do about getting my autographs authenticated because i always you know as a ttmer you never know if they're real or not you know so he, he gives some great tips yeah it's i mean i always what i've started doing is i just go for kind of uh any big names that i've gotten especially by mail any like hall deceased hall of famers are kind of the big ones i don't authenticate stuff very often but um like the stuff for my uh Tops all-time fan favorite sets. I've got a few, you know, deceased Hall of Famers. I got TTM. So I figured, you know what? I should probably get guys like that done. So like my Yogi Berra's, my uh, Ernie Banks's, guys like that. I get those ones slabbed. And fortunately for me, they came back authentic. So it was definitely worth the uh, worth the $10 or $15 investment there in getting those done. 
Yeah, and Les also gave a nice tip about um, if you get an autograph, you personally get an autograph here. It's an in-person autograph, so you know that the guy signed it. But for some reason, it gets um, gets failed by by one of the authenticated companies. He uh, gives some good tips on that as well. So, Les, th- thank you very much. Uh, we will gonna well, we will not have Les next week, but we will have him in two weeks, and we're gonna talk about um, getting prepared for the national. What you need, what you should do to what you should bring to the national. What you need uh, need to make your national experience fun. And uh, I think Les has been at about twenty different nationals, last yeah. twenty different nationals or something. And we're gonna talk to Les about that. So we that wraps that up, episode uh, just like all national news or something like that and everything about it. That would be just kind of a good preview episode or something like that. Yeah. Well, that wraps up more from less. Next up, we're going to talk grading and making the grade. Making the grade is brought to you by Diamond Service Grading. Fast, accurate, transparent. Diamond Service Grading takes the mystery out of grading. They proudly have the best encapsulation in the industry with an amazing inner sleeve that not only protects your collectible investment, but looks great as well. Easy to submit, quick turnaround. DSG Grading is ready to grade your cards today. Visit dsggrading.com to learn more. Well, making the grade is a summary of what's been going on in the grading committee. We have some news again from our friends at CSG that we want to share. Yeah, unfortunately, great. Uh, the uh, rates are going up a little bit there on their uh, grading services there. It's going to be starting on July 5th. So come down to the final two weeks to get their current rates. So uh, if you want to get some stuff done and get it at a slightly cheaper price, get it in now. After that, price are going to be going up for a bulk grading from $12 up to $15. Small increase right there. Economy standard, both seeing a $5 increase. Economy from $20 up to $25. Standard from $30 up to $35. And if you need express service, that's going to go from $60 up to $70. So, you know what? It's still cheaper than uh, Beckett and PSA at the very least. So, you know, definitely look into them if you want to save some money and get uh, some pretty good service. And then we just want to remind our fr- people about our friends at Diamond Service Grading. That's DSG Grading, DSGGrading.com. They have a $5 coupon offer for just TTMcast listeners, the coupon code. Don't worry if you don't write it down. It's available on our website, but I'm going to give it out anyway. It's 4HMUGTZG, 4HMUGTZG. Make sure you use that coupon code when you uh, submit your cards to Diamond Service Grading, DSG Grading. They're still meeting that 30-day turnaround, quick turnaround. They have a QR code on the label. You get to view the complete details of why your card got the grading. Their standard grading is $30, but it's $25 uh, with the coupon code. They have uh, cool error labels. They have all sorts of neat stuff. They also have a next-day turnaround, uh, which is not $30, but you can still use the coupon code for that. Check them out. Diamond Service Grading, DSG Grading, great company out of San Francisco, California area. And they've been grading cards for uh, nationally for about a year and a half now. Check them out. Diamond Service Grading, DSGGrading.com. Well, that wraps up making the grade. Next up is our TTM cast stamp of approval. I bet you're wondering who earned this week's TTM cast stamp of approval. Drew, I'm going to take a break and grab a quick drink here. Why, why don't you do your TTM cast stamp approval for the week? All right. Well, yeah, I mentioned this earlier in the show that my band has a show uh, coming up tonight on Saturday night out in Denton, Texas. Killer's Tacos is the name of the place, and they are going to be my stamp of approval for the week. They've got some really great tacos out there. I mean, if you go in there, they have this whole menu board of different kinds of tacos, all sorts of different cool names on them and everything. But I've also, they're also a great music venue as well. They support a lot of independent musicians, uh, smaller bands and smaller shows. But we're one of like six bands that are on for this that are all playing. Uh, there's also a rumor that there's somewhere hidden somewhere in the restaurant and venue there 
is a secret menu as well of different tacos that are not on the regular menu. I have not yet found it. So that's been my goal for today is to figure out where the hell is the secret menu hidden, what all is on it, and to be able to order something from it because they won't let you order anything from it unless you know where it was and where you found it at. So I'm going to be on the hunt for that. But uh, yeah, Killer's Tacos, Denton, Texas, great food, great music. If you're in the area, definitely go and check it out. Drew, how many songs do you play in your set? We can usually fit in about, it's a 30 to 45 minutes uh, set usually. I mean, that's about all that we have written so far anyways, but that's about, you know, like nine or 10 songs or thereabouts, plus a little bit, you know, time in between there. So I think we've got like, I think we've got like eight or nine on the set right now. And we can blaze through that 30, 35 minutes or so, which works great because it takes a little bit of time to set everything up and take everything down, especially with it being over a hundred degrees right now, setting up and taking it down and moving around a drum set in that is not fun. Yeah, you so, should have yeah, picked the harmonica. Good. You should have picked the harmonica. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I should just stick to lead vocals or something like that. But uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, yeah, we'll have about eight or nine songs in there and we'll try to get some on uh, my band's Facebook page or something like that if we can get some video of it too. So Do you, do you guys play any cover stuff or you just play all... Uh, all uh, originals for now. Yeah, just uh, all originals so far. We talk about trying to fit, mix some covers in there because people like hearing covers every now and then. So uh we're trying to get, uh, see if we can get some figured out that we can learn pretty easily and just throw in there. But yeah, from right now, it's all just uh, just original stuff. No, it's funny because I, I went to McCartney last week, mm-hmm. and um, you know he 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 came on. He, they were playing some new stuff, and they playing most of the a lot of the old stuff. And he's and he's like, I know what you guys like. You you know when I when I when I play Let It Be, we get all the lighters and the phones, and you know, and you guys are screaming. And then we play something new. And everyone's quiet because you don't know <laughs> yep. the tunes. And he's like, well, you know what? I don't care. That's what we like. <laughs> yeah. It's going to play whatever you want to play. And everybody listening can just deal with it. Yep. Yeah, it's funny. So I, that's why I asked because it's I think it takes a lot of uh, um, to ball, excuse my French balls to play your own stuff. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah, everyone can anyone go out and play cover stuff. But when you play your all, all your own original stuff, that, that that's putting yourself out on the line, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Well, my TTM cast stamp approval is um, a, a great show on Paramount Plus. It is, I believe, it is nine episodes. It's called The Offer. And if you're a fan of The Godfather or The Godfather Two, uh, this is a, a fabulous show. It is um, all about the making of The Godfather and how they went. Uh, they started, uh, you know, putting the thing with together with Mario Puzo, the uh, the author, and, and Francis Ford Coppola, and casting the thing, and dealing with the uh, mafia and, and all the the uh, prejudice against Italians. And um, I'm on I'm on episode I think four right now, and it is a it's a great little mini series. It's called The Offer, and if you're a fan of The Godfather, it's on Paramount Plus. Um, check it out. The offer it is uh, it's well worth the time. I think the episodes are maybe an hour, <laughs> an hour piece. And um, as I said, I'm on episode four right now. I can't wait to watch the last three or four episodes. And it's all about Al Ruddy, who was the producer of The Godfather and how he um, they made it uh, with Paramount, dealing with Paramount and dealing with it uh, with everything. It's it was really really interesting and um, it's it's kind of cool. I, I really thought it was a good show. So check it out. The offer on Paramount plus. Well, that wraps up TTM cast sample approval. Next up is the burn rap minute. 
Drew, why don't you tell people what the Vern Rap Minute's all about? Oh, of course. Vern Rap Minute is uh, dedicated to the memory of Mr. Vern Rap, who uh, Jeff once wrote to and did not know that he had died yet. So, um, unfortunately, uh, that yeah, give it an oops. <laughs> yep, that's. I mean, something that I think has happened to all of us at some point or another. But um, this is to try to help out collectors and let them know, hey, uh, this person died this week, so don't do what we've done and uh, mail off to these guys. So we just kind of give an update of anybody who died in the world of sports, celebrity, politics, music, anything like that. And so. Unfortunately, we've got a few here to talk about this week. Who needs me? Just give, <laughs> give, give Drew the show. I'll I'll just chime in every three seconds, three, three minutes or so and say, okay, good job, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> well, enough of the jocularity, right? They were talking about people that have passed. Uh, we lost Kurt Knight. Kurt Knight was a kicker with the Washington Redskins from 1969 to 1973. He actually won, uh, was a pro bowler in 1971. He led the NFL in scoring with 114 points, and he kicked 101 field goals during career. So he's a pretty good kicker. Uh, Kurt Knight was uh, 78 years old, and he was actually a pretty good TTMer as well. Just an aside there, uh, whenever you think, hey, I should send to this guy, jump on it and do it, because I was sitting there on a card of Kurt Knight. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get to him eventually. I'm going to get to him eventually. Well, yeah, now I now that's going into my uh, deceased player's box, unfortunately. So if you think about sending to somebody, just get out and do it. Oh, uh, we had another death this week from the ABA. Michael Pratt, uh, formerly of the Kentucky Colonels and played at the University of Kentucky as well. Member of the Colonels for a 70 and 71 and a University of Kentucky Hall of Famer. Very good TTMer as well. Uh, he was 73 years old. In the world of boxing, we lost the Boxing Hall of Famer. He was, uh, his name was Carlos Ortiz. He was a two-time world champion. He won a lightweight uh, championship and a light welterweight championship in the 50s and the 60s. Uh, he was 85 years old. Uh, moving into the acting world, we've got uh, Philip Baker Hall died this week. You may recognize his name from Family Ties from the movie Boogie Nights. And he was the library cop Lieutenant Bookman on Seinfeld. So a versatile uh, actor right there and some uh, comedy slash drama roles there, but he was 90 years old. Yeah, he played he played Lieutenant Bookman really funny. He played it really straight, that old kind of, you know, detective. And it was really, it was really a good character. He was on for two episodes uh, and uh, he will be missed. We, you know, our condolences go out to friends and family. Uh, we are sorry for your loss. Uh, and we're going to go right into our TTM returns for the week. Do you have a perfect 10 in your collection? Now's the time to find out. With the introduction of the CSG Perfect 10 label, the perfect holder meets the perfect label for your perfect cards. If you have cards certified with the original CSG label, take advantage of the reduced reholder fee of just $5 per card until June 30th, 2022. Get all the details at csgcards.com. Well, Drew, why don't you take returns? Because you you had two returns this week. I did, yeah, doubling my output from last week. So uh, definitely happy to do that. But uh, first one I got was a guy who's known in a sport and a game. Let's go with for uh, him. But uh, his name is TJ Cloutier. And for anybody who follows the poker world, you know that he has won a couple of World Series of Poker bracelets. I think he had like five of them. Never won the main event at all, but won several smaller events. But he also was a pro football player for a while, played a couple of years up in the Canadian Football League. I know he's with the Toronto Argonauts for one of those, and I think Montreal for the other one. But uh, yeah, played uh, some pro football, went into a poker career, and he is now retired from that and living actually here in the Dallas area. He lives, I believe it's uh, Richardson, Texas is the uh, address that I sent to. 
but he signed a uh, custom index card that I made. It took about a three or four month turnaround or so. Sent it out back, I want to say maybe March or April, somewhere in there. Uh, the other one I got back was uh, fitness guru Denise Austin. You may recognize her from being on pretty much every fitness show on ESPN. It seemed like they're in the late 80s to the early 90s and all sorts of uh, fitness infomercials and things like that. She was on the uh, President's Council, I think, for physical fitness or something like that throughout the uh, uh, 2000s and early 2010s. But she's in one of the Allen and Ginter card sets. And so uh, my friend Chris, who's been an, interviewed on the show before, sent me a couple of cards of her and said, hey, send these off if you want. One for me, one for you. I'm like, yeah, no problem. We'll try it out. And two-week turnaround there to an address in California. So happy to get her back as well. So there's my two for the week. Sure. What I love about you and TTMing is that you branch out. You just don't oh, say yeah. I'm going to the three three, four sports, you're all, you're, you're all over the place. And I, I say that with all due respect, because it's awesome. I just think you, 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 some of the, some of the guys, the people you get, I don't even think about and like, Oh, he's awesome. She'd be cool to get. I didn't. Yeah. And even TJ Cloutier, I, I know him from, I watched, I watch him on poker all the time. I wouldn't even think of getting him. You know what I mean? You yeah. Just, there's a lot of poker players out there that are really good signers. There's him. I mean, Doyle Brunson, who's, you know, probably the greatest, one of the greatest poker players of all time. He's a really great signer. I've heard, um, I haven't gotten him back yet, but um, Daniel Legrand, who I know is a great signer. I've heard the Phil Hellmuth signs. And then, yeah, I mean, just like with Denise Austin, there's so many, just like a wide variety of different people from different areas of everything, really, that are putting those Alan Ginter sets. And I mean, you can, if there's somebody you really want, whip up a custom index card or something like that. All you do is, you know, print an index card with their name and maybe a little photo or something like that. Keep it simple, give them a spot to sign and a lot of them will sign those. Yeah, I think at the national, I'm going to look at some Alan Ginter, those those type of guys to send off because I don't have any, and I hate to go, I hate to go on eBay and, and buy it and have to spend three dollars on shipping on some of these guys. Right. You know what I mean? But if you can pick them up for cheap at, at a, a card show, it's really cool. And and I, you're going to be there uh, mentoring me at the national, so I'll be like, Drew, does this guy sign? Yeah, 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 get that one. He's he's good. He signed. So I'm I, again, I applaud you too standing over for that good job Drew. um i i had a couple i had like two four six i had seven returns this week uh not bad i was getting maybe like one or two a day which which is kind of how i like to get them i i don't like when they i get seven or eight a day i like to just get one or two a day and that's kind of been what i've been doing this week so i got um greg uh, Braz, uh greg brazina he played linebacker for the atlanta falcons uh for many years in the 60s and 70s and he signed his 75 tops card he uh Signed it, it personalized it, and he has a, a Bible verse on it. But kind of cool to get that one back. These are all I got these back in like a couple of weeks. I got Ken Avery, who was a linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs. He also played for the Bengals and the Giants, and he signed his seventy-five tar- tops card for me. He just signed his name in black sharpie. That was two weeks. I got uh, Jason Starowski, which this one's kind of this was a kind of cool one. He signed his card for me. It was a scorecard. He was a kicker for the New England Patriots back in the uh, late 80s and, and 90s. But uh, he sent me a note, and his dad played in the 1948, I think I'm going to check my note here. He played in the 1940, uh-oh, ill-prepared. Nine, I'm sorry, <laughs> 1949 Little League World Series. And wow. Jason has all sorts of memorabilia from when his, from when his dad played in the in the 1949 Little League World Series there's pennants and programs and pictures and all sorts of stuff and he was look wondering if there was anyone out there that collects Little League World Series memorabilia so if you do collect Little League World Series memorabilia let me know 
I will hook you up with Jason. Just send me uh, an email. Send it to ttmcast at yahoo.com. Just put it in the, the, the line, 1949 uh, Little League World Series. If you know anyone that collects Little League World Series memorabilia, Jason Starosky has a lot of memorabilia from his dad, and he's just looking to uh, get it into hands of somebody that would appreciate it. So um, just send me send me an email, and I'll I'll, I'll hook you up with, with Jason, and, and maybe you guys can uh, make a deal. So check. So I got that was a nice that, that was a nice one. Every once in a while, I'll get a, a, a email or a message for from uh, an athlete that oh i have this and you know i'd like to like to unload it or do you know anyone that's that's looking for this um which is kind of cool so jason starosky thank you very much you signed my card in a couple weeks i got uh wade k wade was a guard for the philadelphia eagles uh and on his 1980 tops card he signed it nice blue sharpie i got um david whitehurst david whitehurst do you remember david whitehurst drew i don't at all okay david whitehurst was a quarterback for the green bay packers in the uh in the 70s and in in late 70s and early 80s and he played he he was he went to Fur, uh, Furman, which he's only the second quarterback from Furman to play in the nfl the other one was sam white and david whitehurst uh, kind of was back and forth with lynn dickey like he lynn dickey would get hurt and david whitehurst would play a couple games then dickey would come back and then dick dickey would wouldn't do anything and they'd bring in david whitehurst and he was kind of a in and out guy for 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 four or five years but david whitehurst claimed to fame and this is very very uh he has a big claim to fame he won the very first monday night football game at lambeau field he was the quarterback that was the that won the very first Monday night football game at Land Bookfield. They beat the New England Patriots. I think it was 24 to 10 in 1979. So think about that. The Monday night football was started in like 70, right? Or 69 or 70, something like that. Right. right they waited almost yeah, 10, 70. they waited almost 10 years before they played a game, a Monday night football game at Lambeau Field. So Green Bay must have been really, really bad during that. <laughs> during yeah, that they time. were really sticking to just teams that did really well the year before. And yeah, I mean the Packers, the Packers crapped out real bad from about the uh, early '70s on through to about well, yeah. I mean it was like I think I feel like '89 was like the first year they really started to kind of come back when Don Mikowski had his really big year. Yep. But yeah, they uh, they uh, I mean, well, would you want to send a uh, national broadcast crew up to the middle of nowhere like that this is i mean the area this is a i mean it's an early era there in tv still you didn't have you know probably the same kind of satellite technology that you've got now right. even into the 90s there so i'm sure it wasn't exactly the easiest place to broadcast from well i david whitehurst signed my card in black sharpie in a couple of weeks and i was very happy to get it it was a, a 19 um i think 79 79 yeah 79 tops card he signed it so that, that was kind of cool and then i learned more about david whitehurst Kind of after I got it back, but it was it was very interesting. I got uh Jim uh Chansky. Jim Chansky was a linebacker. He played for the Patriots. He also played for the Buffalo Bills. He signed his 1973 tops card for me. He uh, personalized it and put a the uh, Bible Bible verse on. He signed it in um, blue sharpie. And I, anytime I can get an old Patriot card, I love that. And then I got this one, Drew. I don't know if you can see it, but it is 1976 tops tall boy basketball card. Nice. From uh, Glenn McDonald. Glenn uh, w- was a first-round draft pick for the, the Celtics uh, back in the 1974 draft, and he played. He, w- he went to Long Beach State, played a couple of years 
with the Celtics, but I love these big, the tall boys, the 1976 tops uh, basketball cards. So I've been I've, it's starting to accumulate the, these, and it's hard to find the the top loaders to put them in. Yeah, you know, and the sheets. So that's one of my things. You gotta remind me, Jeff. Make sure you get top loaders and sheets for your 1976 basketball cards, because I want to send some more out. So sure Ultra Pro will have those at their table or any of the supply companies that'll be at the national there. They should have a lot of those. Yeah, I agree. So Glenn McDonald signed it. Uh, I think it took me about three or four weeks. And um, I, I have all the 76 uh, Celtics cards and I've been kind of picking up cards here and there um, to get signed because there's a lot of guys in that set that do sign. So that's kind of, I think that's kind of my ne next project I'll, I'll be working on at the national to pick up some guys to, to send out. So those are my returns to the week. I've got like four or five that I have that I'm going to send out this week. I've got him in uh, shirking the last two weeks, been busy with a bunch of other, other stuff. So um, I'll hopefully I'll get back to sending out 10 a week. It's just been uh, it's been hard to find guys that I don't have. You know what I mean? Because I have, you know, when you start doing this for so for as long as you and I have, it's like, geez, I have that guy. You know, all the guys that are signing, oh, I have that guy, I have that guy. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I don't like to be greedy and ask for multiple, you know, uh, autographs from guys. So I've been trying to find guys that I don't have. Glenn McDonald was one of them, and it was kind of cool to get that 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 card back. Yeah. So that is returns for the week. And Drew, wishing hopefully you get some some more returns back this uh, coming up week. And next up, we're going to have our uh, our interview. This week's interview is brought to you by Certified Sports Guarantee, CSGCards.com for superior sports card certification and grading. So I said it as I said at the beginning of the show. I had the chance to interview uh, Mike Floyd. Mike played for the California Angels. The um, Los Angeles Dodgers and the Houston Astros minor league team in the sixties and uh, mid sixties and, and to the seventies. I think he retired in 74, 75, right around there. And he wrote it. He's written a new book called Bush league blues, which is available on Amazon. It is a fun read. It's a quick read. It's 300 pages, but it's 300 pages of kind of fun and stories and uh, minor league hijinks and um coming up through the, uh, the the minor leagues and dealing with coaches and dealing with um, going to spring training and uh, just kind of all fun stuff talking. He, he mentions so many guys that he played with that ended up playing in the major leagues, uh, minor league legends is the names that if you're a baseball fan, you'll recognize also hall of famers. He talks about uh, asking Mickey Mantle and Roberto Clemente for autographs. It's really a, a fun interview. I don't want to give it all away. So please enjoy my interview with Mike Floyd, author of Bush League Blues. But first, here's a message from our friends at CSG. It's not too late to participate in the first ever CSG Registry Awards. Add your cards to the CSG Registry to automatically be considered for awards and prizes, including a $500 grading credit. The deadline to get your sets ready is July 1st, and the winners will be announced on July 29th. What are you waiting for? It's fun, free, and easy to compete. To learn more, visit csgcards.com registry. Joining the show from his home in North Carolina is Mike Floyd. Mike is a author of a brand new book. It is called The Bush League Blues. He played nine seasons in the minor leagues, and I'm going to leave list off the teams he played for you ready guys 
the Quad City Angels, the Idaho Falls Angels, the Jose Bees, the El Paso Sun Kings, the Salt Lake City Angels, the Albuquerque Dukes, the Waterbury Dodgers, the Denver Bears, and the Columbus Astros. He was in the Angels, Dodgers, and Astros farm system from 1967 to 1975 as an outfielder. He hit 75 home runs in his minor league career. He also played in the Mexican League. Mexican League. And the best part about Mike is he graduated with a degree in journalism. So he, he, he is a writer, and he, wrote, uh, he has written a fantastic book. It's called The Bush League Blues. It's available on Amazon. Mike, that was a long intro, but welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Jeff. Mike, you know, just uh, meeting you a couple weeks ago, the first thing I can say about you is that you're a raconteur, a storyteller. And uh, there's so many stories that you shared in your book. Um, You know, I'm sure you had all these stories, but what inspired you to kind of get them down all on paper? Well, I was I I wrote the book. I wrote an eight part series for the newspaper I wrote for. And it was about the Zelman Jack story down in Mexico. And I had the nucleus of the story, and I copyrighted it. And then I'm thinking, I got to start adding this, the rest of the story. So little by little, about two years ago, I started writing up these different art. I had to, I had to mention the people that helped me along the way, and some of them uh, had never been mentioned. So it just was a natural flow for me to write and continue the book. Though so it got got to be a little bit longer than I thought it would, but that's that's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic book, guys. It's a 300-page book. It's available on Amazon. It's called Bush League Blues. And uh, the title came, was inspired by, by somebody special to you, huh? It's my sister, Deb. She uh, came up with that call me one morning, probably about six months ago, maybe a little longer. She said something, I woke up and something came to me. She had written, she had read a lot of the book and she said, Bush League Blues, this, that's you because the bush leagues and plus the blues i played in blues bands for 25 30 years in uh, in san diego so it just was a perfect fit and we went with that day one well uh, you know what i got out of the book is that um the camaraderie of, of the teammates you know it, it was it was evident that you had you had so much fun playing maybe too much fun sometimes <laughs> overindulgence but- yes we did but you know, since it was 50 years ago, it was 68, 67. That was, that was the indulgent years for, I mean, all the major leaguers, all they talked about is uh, they're off the seat, you know, off the field in annex, like the, the Yankees. And so we figured if we're going to get to the big leagues, we've got to be able to party with the big leaguers. And that was part of our game off the field. Well, it was kind of before the whole, cocaine and all the drugs kind of came into right. baseball and steroids and it was it was a, a different age right and, and and coming up in the 60s i'm sure you know you're playing in, in uh the, on the west coast in, in california with, with the the hippie hippie generation and all that stuff yeah. and, and it must it must have been you know you had a lot of wild stories that you share in the book <laughs> well i had to tone them down because uh you know i like there's some people in this small town that are reading it some of the kids I coached and you know it just it's better to leave it out my friend Art Kushner who's uh, played with Jose Canseco on the same team he said that when he came out with that book juice that he turned everybody off because he just he told everything and 
you just can't do that. You know, people have some privacy. So I, I, I honored their privacy and I kept it, I picked it low key and uh, I put just enough in there that, you know, you knew that there was a side that social side that after the game was over, that was always fun too. Was, was you as a young player was, and I kind of sent this from the book. Did you, was there a frustration in your, in your uh, mind that you could, you didn't control your own destiny a lot in a lot of times? Well, growing up in California, it started out when I was about eight and I was playing little league and I was, I was good. I had a really good arm, but I got, I put on some weight and I was worried about being, you know, heavy. And then it all went away when I was 12, it shed, you know, puberty, I guess. And then after that, it was never any doubt. I just, how high I was up. I was a football player, a good one. And I had football scholarships and baseball scholarships, but I stuck with baseball. But I, I didn't have, I, I was pretty cocky. I didn't, maybe it was a false cockiness, but it got me through, you know, it got me into, into pro ball and, and carried me through. Well, I think, you know, from the book, it seems like that it's more than just having enough talent to get to, to the majors and, and no, you, you didn't, you didn't have the, the, the luck or, or the, the timing or being in the right place at the right time or, or even having somebody behind you. Do you think that all contributed to, to kind of stalling your career in a sense? Well, what happened was that when I went to University of Arizona and then I, I flunked out of there with my grades, lost a scholarship. I went to Fullerton JC, which is Fullerton College now. And then I played summer ball uh, for Mike Salt of Pontiac in Long Beach. And two of my coaches, Mike Scoba and Joe Hicks, were, they're the junior college Hall of Fame coaches. So I got the best coaches. It's, it's in the book. But when I got to pro ball, I found out that the, a lot of the coaches, they weren't there for me like Scoba and Hicks were. They were there for themselves, and they wanted to go up just as bad as I did. And I didn't even know that. I was only 20. So I didn't know they had career aspirations. I have sure. them, but. I had no idea that if I could be manipulated as a player, uh, they would use me to get to the big leagues. And some of them did, not just me, but other, other people. You know, like pitching a guy every, every day, a reliever throwing his arm out, and he had to quit pro ball, but they went up because he had a good year as a closer. So it was, it was, it was a game that I wasn't really used to, a political game. Sure. You had during your time in the minors, you had you had a brush with some great players, including Harmon Killebrew, who was obviously a Hall of Famer, and uh, you had a meeting with, with, with the Mick Mickey Mantle uh, yeah. one yeah. time. Can you tell us a little about that? You you kind of outlined it in the book, right? Well, we were playing a doubleheader in the world's hottest stadium, Arlington, Texas, and we were up there eating watermelon between games, and one of the players walked by and said, "Hey." Hey, Floyd, Mickey Mantle's down there in the dugout. You want to go down there and meet him? I said, yeah, and I got a ball. And a Texas League baseball signed by Bobby Bragan, as a matter of fact. So I run down there, and there's Mantle standing in the Dallas-Fort Worth Spurs dugout by himself. Nobody's even talking to him. I guess his aura was so great that none of the minor leaguers approached him. So I just walked up to him, and I stood right next to him. And I didn't know what to say. So I had this ball, I had this pen. And I said, hey, Mick, you know, I told him who I was, played with El Paso and 
had a uniform on, so I was different than being just a fan. Sure. Dirty uniform on. So we shook hands, and I said, do you mind signing this ball for me? And I didn't want it to be to Mike, because I was a player, too. It was, like, kind of weird to cross over. So I said, would you sign it for my sister, Debbie? She said, sure, and he signs it and hands it back to me. And I shook his hands, and I didn't know what to do, but, like, run away from him. I didn't, couldn't talk to him <laughs> at this level because it was guy was forearms were just unbelievable. That's all I could look at is his big hairy forearms he had. And I think that was his last year. That was 69 or yeah, 69. And I went back up and kept the ball and sent it to my sister, Deb, which was her favorite baseball for sure. But just meeting a guy that to hear his laugh and his voice, he was at a greatest voice. He could have been a great announcer if you'd have lived and, and aspired to that. But that was that was a real thrill for me. Did you ask for any other autographs while you were playing? The only other one was Roberto Clemente. And I waited for him at Dodger Stadium after they had showered up and they'd lost. And they were and Jim Pagliaroni came out. The, I said, Hey, when, is Clemente coming out? He goes, Yeah, he'll be out. So he comes out and he walked. He said, I don't sign autographs when we lose. That really pissed me off. And I, after that, I just never asked any other big leaguers for autographs because I was on the major league roster for two years and I figured I was the big leaguer too. So no, just him and the mantle were the only two I ever asked. Yeah. You mentioned Paglioni. I think we just lost him. I think he just passed away uh, in the last week or so. Yeah, really. He was a catcher at Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I read an uh, uh, interesting thing piece about him is that the Dodgers sold him to the Kansas City A's and they used that money to pay for uh, Chavez Ravine for Dodger Stadium. Oh, yeah, right. No, that's what they that's what it said. That's what it says? Well, yeah. maybe they got a good price on that. But I don't, what, some of the stuff that's coming out now, they say that uh, the Dodgers cheated the people out of that land. I don't know. You know, it's a beautiful stadium. I worked out there when I was in high school when I was 17 and that was one of the greatest things I ever did. I mentioned that, that I rode up to the Chavez Ravine with Joe Adcock. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. He was my hero. So these two scouts said, we want you to work out with the angels and Joe Adcock's coming by in a limo to pick you up at your house tomorrow at four o'clock. So I'm out there on my driveway with my bat, my glove, and you know, just my travel, my gig bag. And, here comes Joe Adcock. I get in the car and uh, rode all the way up and back with him for four nights playing against the uh, Kansas City Athletics. And then two weeks later, there was an eight, seven game homestand, which was Boston and the other was New York. So I got to see Yaz. I got to see, you know, I think Frank, Frank Malzone was on that team. And my hero, Dick Stewart, was on that team. Dr. Strange Glove. Oh, man, did I love Dick Stewart. And then when the, the Yankees came, uh, they all came down. When you get in a Chavez Ravine, you come, come out of the right field stands and you walk down to the uh, runway, the foul territory, and you walk up into the clubhouse. So all the Yogi Berra, Maris, Mantle, Scalrin, Elson, now every one of them are right there. And I was playing shag in right field in batting practice. And man, what a thrill to see these guys. God, 
you mentioned, uh, you know, you had, you mentioned in the book, you mentioned a lot of guys that, that you played uh, for, you know, as managers, Del Rice and, and um, Tom sort of kind of took you under uh, his wing. Uh, right. Was there, was there anyone that was really special to you uh, as a mentor? Well, Del, Del was more like an adult. He was like a boss of the office. He didn't really spend any time on hitting. And he was just sort of laid back. He was a catcher and, you know, he worked with the catchers. So the real mentor for me was probably uh, that worked with me on hitting was probably myself when I, I was a hitting instructor at San Diego School of Baseball. And I finally got some tapes of myself hitting. I figured out what I was doing. That was my last year of my career. But as far as leadership was sort of people People get on him. When I say he was a good friend of mine, they, they have bad stories about him. But, you know, you read the book. He got me a job when I got released from the Angels. He was going to take me up to the AAA team at Albuquerque, play with guys like Kuchurik and uh, Ronnie Say and Lopes and uh, all those guys, Joe Ferguson and Von Joshua. And I broke my arm that summer twice, and I never got to play for him. So. He, he was special in my, because I knew him when he was a scout with the Angels back in the late 50s. So uh, he may have had a little few things go to his head, but as far as he, our relationship, he was always a great guy with me. One of the things I really enjoyed in, in, about the book, and I, I haven't seen that much, is that you, um, you had chapters on guys and then you, you reached out and contacted them and then they wrote you letters and you included that in the book, which I thought was really neat. It was kind of more, a little more firsthand, if you know what I mean. Why did, what what uh, uh, inspired you to include the, their letters to you? Well, I, I just like you said, I wanted it to be different. I wanted it to be uh, very uh, personal. And who better than to explain how you played than yourself? So, yeah, I got Roy Gleason, Dennis Rybant, Rod Gaspar. Uh, there's a couple more in there that I got personal. And they're not sports writers. They're not journalists. But, you know, what they wrote, I kind of tweaked it a little bit. But it just gives more insight. Like, I never faced Roland Ryan, but my buddy Mike Adams did and tells what it was like to face him. And then my buddy, Art Kushner, who caught with the Angels and the White Sox, he caught Nolan's, one of Nolan's no-hitters. And he tells about how his ball, how his ball moved. He threw a, a vicious sinker that you couldn't, you'd stick your glove out. Most catchers stick the glove out with their fingers up. You couldn't do that because his ball came in so hot. You couldn't turn, if it sunk, you couldn't turn your glove hand with your fingers turning to the ground you didn't have time so just little inside things like that that i didn't know they knew and i knew that they knew and i think that really added something to the book i really did we're speaking with mike floyd mike floyd played uh minor league ball from 1967 to 1975 he's written a brand new book it's called the bush league blues it's available on amazon it is a 
uh, a chronology of uh, Mike's career in the, in the minors. And Mike, has, Mike played in a lot of places. He uh, played in Quad City, Idaho Falls, San Jose, El Paso, Salt Lake City, Albuquerque, Waterbury, Denver, Columbus. The, the stickers on his luggage are, are endless, but he, he tells all sorts of great stories about his time in the minors and he mentioned some major league players that he he played with but really the heart of the book is the camaraderie and kind of the minor league legends you played with you played with a lot of minor league legends guys who you know who we don't you know we don't have video of and we don't have you know we there's a lot of stories it's a lot of um I don't know, mythology for some of these guys, because it's almost like the Negro, Negro Leaguers. We didn't we don't have uh, video of these guys, but some of the guys that you played with are uh, are legends, right? Well, I just, you know, what was great about this book is I had to research everything that I wrote because you know how baseball people are. They'll jump on your case if you're wrong. Right. You missed a year. It was a, that happened in 1968, yeah, not 1969. Wait a and <laughs> wait a minute. they used different tires on that bus that no, anyway. Uh, what I found out was that if I said mentioned somebody and where they played, let's say up in Wisconsin Rapids, I'd click on the, the team and look at all the roster to make sure I was right. I'd see all the big league players that were on that team. You know, like Charlie Manuel was on there. Uh, uh, well, Art Kushner was, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, anyway, that's how I found out who I played against. Because when you're out there and you're a rook and you walk out on the field, you see all these other people, you don't know who they are till later on. Then I recognize the names. Carlos May is who I was thinking of. Sure. He was on Wisconsin Rapids or maybe Appleton it was, but whatever the White Sox were, I think maybe it was uh, uh, Appleton. But just to play in the Midwest League, those old parks and the fans, it was just so different in the minor leagues. So I played, a, I'll tell you who I played against uh, up in Bristol, Connecticut was uh, Jimmy Rice and Freddie Lynn on the same team, 73. I didn't know the, who these guys were. Could you, could not, now, like as a, as a ball player, could you tell it, like, oh, this guy has it, he's going to make the oh, majors yeah. or? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You could. So if a guy has good moves, you know, if he can pick it out in the field, he's got the good soft hands, he moves good, he anticipates uh, how he throws, how he sets up, you know, if they're really conscientious out on the field. And then when you watch him hit, you know, I played right field. I could tell where the ball was usually going. I knew the pitch that was coming and I'd shade him at different places. But yeah, you, you, you see enough people that you know that they can play. And uh, I hope that was thought of me. I thought I could play and I, I, my years were pretty good. I just, the timing was off, but uh, yeah, that was, that was what, that was a great fun because you played against all these kids in college and high school. And then you go out to a strange group of, in a league and all these guys are like high draft choice usually. And they were, they were King God in their hometown and they're used to, so it's all these, egos clashing not so much so much talent but everybody's a bobo everybody's been uh won awards and when i got there i just just hard-assed everything and just treated it like a football game because i played a lot of football there's um 
you know, there's always a, a pecking order, right? The, uh, of how veterans treat rookies. And um, was, was that something that was hard for you to, you know, as, as you said, you were, you, you know, you were an all-star and you played on all, all these great teams and you come in and you're the low man on, on the totem pole. Was that, was that difficult for you to, you as a, uh, a player? Well, yes, it was in the, in the book. I mean, in my chapter, I think it's called 396 Chevelle, which is the car I drove down in my first spring training. When I went out on the field, I got drafted eighth, and I wanted to see who was drafted ahead of me. And when I looked at some of these people, and I said, how in the world did they drafted ahead of me? The number one draft choice, Jim Deneff, was from Holland, Michigan, and I played with him. He was legitimate, number one. The others, so questionable. It, it just proved my theory back then that uh, scouts have to turn in names. And if you're a scout somewhere in, let's say, North Dakota, your, your, your top pick is it's 400 North Dakota. And I hit 370 in California. Who's better? Who, sh who should be drafted? Well, he hit 400, so he'll have to – he's taller than Floyd, so we'll have to – well, he's 6'1", we'll have to draft him ahead of him. So it never made any sense to me. And I think I, the, the, the real – proof in the pudding is that the Dodgers shot all that size thing down yep. everybody you know St. Louis the Mets all their pitchers and everybody was huge Minnesota I mean I went to spring train with Minnesota they're huge those guys the Dodgers show up with Say Russell Lopes and Garvey and they're great athletes and strong can run but they're 5'10 max and that just, you know, what the Dodgers did was, you know, destroy that theory that you got to, they look good in the lobby, they got to be able to play. That's just not true. Yep, that's kind of the NFL too, right? The guy has to look good, look good in his uniform. It doesn't matter if he play, can play sometimes. It's, it's, well, I was 5'8", like 180. And, you know, I, I was affected too. And I go on about that, my theory on that, that my friend Mike Adams in Little League, uh, he, put, he made it to the big leagues. He was 5'9", 170, 180. And he had a tremendous year at Wichita in 75, I think it was. Don't quote me. But he had like 320, had almost 600 slugging average. So he got traded from the Cubs to the A's. And somehow, oh, he, he, he drove across town to Mesa from Scottsdale. And they put him right in a game, a spring training game. So he's playing, and he, they said, hey, Charlie O wants to see you in the, in the, in the office. He goes, yeah, well, I'm in the game. He goes, Charlie O wants to see you. Go, okay. So he runs in there, and Charlie O's looking at him. He's got a media guy. You know, they hand out the reporters. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Mike Adams. Are you the guy that hit 326 at Wichita last year? He goes, yeah. He goes, are you the guy that had – 98 RBIs and stole 30 bases. Yeah, that's me. He goes, are you six foot two, 225? He goes, no, I'm 5'9", 180. <laughs> Media guy had the wrong uh, size of him. And Charlie O didn't know Adams physically. So that's how I traded for him. He was 6'2", 225. So my, my theory is that if he would have, if he would have been 6'2", 225, had the same numbers, would have been okay. But since he was 5'9", 180, 
what's he doing with numbers that good? That's how stupid some of the owners were. And I, I being in baseball and coaching it all these years, I coached college ball and all that. I, I learned a lot just by coaching it and seeing what kids have, you know, the fire they have in them. Sure. Did you have a favorite team that you that you played on? I know you won a championship with the uh, with the Salt Lake City, right? Oh, that was an unbelievable experience. It's, we talk about that all the time. The uh, players, uh, what we did, you know, the road coast league is almost like the big leagues. You go to Hawaii. Uh, that's a road ten day road trip to Hawaii with the first day off. Man, I'm telling you, but that was a bunch of bunch of ex big leaguers and some real young talent, and we mashed and we. We kicked the butts of everybody. You know, we won the league that year and beat the Coma Cubs. They had a lot of stars on their team. And yeah, that's the team. Del Rice managed that team. It was great. And you, did they give you a, a ring or, or a chip? I got a ring, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Did you uh, keep any, any memorabilia from your playing days? I know it was a different time in terms of uh, keeping uniforms and such. Did you keep any, any memorabilia from your playing days? Good point. I got a bat right behind me, one of my own bats. And of course, it's 50 some years old, it's chipping a little bit. But I didn't really keep my, my, my grandmother kept a scrapbook for me. So I have a great scrapbook. And I did keep uh, memorabilia from my days down in Wasabi in the Mexican League to help write that story about, you know, Zellman and the Mexican League down there. So, no, I don't know. It's the autographing and all that and cards. I just, I, I could have, I, I started getting into photography right after I left the game and I wish I would have had, because I met a lot of, you know, I met, uh, uh, Bob Feller. I hit off Bob Feller in an exhibition game. I, uh, met Satchel Paige. I met Ducky Medwig and Del Rice had all these ex big league friends and used to come in our dugout, even in the Cal league, uh, I think the uh, Warren Spahn early win used to come in our clubhouse. And uh, I met, uh, tell you who I met was that uh, Carl Hubble. I met Carl Hubble oh, wow. in our clubhouse, the three-piece suit on. He wanted to know how, what I felt about this picture on the other team. And I told him, boy, he, this guy was pretty stern. But I, I, I did meet some of the, the old, older guys and uh, it was fun. Baseball's legacy is, uh, especially back then was, uh, you know, like when I was with, uh, Worked out with the Angels. They had Leon Wagner, Daddy Wags. Oh, sure. They had Albie Pearson. They had J Jimmy Pearsall. Yep. In fact, I went out to right field, and Jimmy and I took fly balls together. And he showed me how he hit the right field in batting practice. And that guy was a strong dude. He was from Waterbury, Connecticut. And that guy wasn't very big, but, man, was he strong. He could hit the ball to right field like a ton. And uh, just some... I think one of the, uh, in the book, there's a, it lists all the people that were in that clubhouse when I went in when I was 17 and it was, I couldn't help but gawk, but I was, I was part of them. Yeah, so, that must've been cool. Now you, you mentioned uh, one of my, one of my heroes growing up was Tony C. Um, Tony Cangliaro uh, came over from the, from the Red Sox to the Angels. Um, what were what, what thoughts on him by the time you, you know, you, I know you played in spring training with him. What was, well, where was he in his career when you got to meet him? Well, I think he had 20-something home runs the year before. I think that's why they traded for him. And I didn't know what to expect. 
he's my competition, number one. You know, I'm a outfielder. I'm a right fielder, too. And uh, so when I went to camp, I was expecting a big dude. He was had lost a lot of weight uh, after he got that injury. And he wasn't very big. And he had a beautiful swing. But I don't think he had the power that he had before he got hurt. Because it's, it's tough getting the ball out of uh, Angel Stadium. It's, yeah. It's real wet it's close to the ocean so there's a lot of dew it's it's muggy so he he was a nice guy i he roomed by himself he had his own suite at gene autry's uh hotel down in palm springs but i did do him one favor i had a girlfriend in uh, tucson at school i set him up with her and her girlfriend jim spencer went uh, they had i had been cut by then so when they went to tucson to play the indians i I got him a date. So I was, I was good on that, but that's, <laughs> I liked him. He was friendly. He was very quiet and uh, it's too bad. It's a real shame. I know it is. I know. I, I, and I, what, this question is for, from a, a good friend of mine and, and one of my listeners His name's Kirk Lewis. And he was uh, a neighbor of one of your uh, former roommates, Doug Griffin. Can you tell us a little about Doug and, and your interactions with him? Cause uh, you know, he has a special heart. He, he, um, a place in my heart and Kirk's heart because we lived in his in the same his home our hometown. He he lived there when he played for the Red Sox. So we have we have a special place for Doug Griffin in our heart. Well, tell your friend that on my uh, Facebook page there's a picture of me hitting in a batting cage, and Doug Griffin's standing right behind me. And uh, the difference between our bodies is really different. he's a tall, skinny dude, but he was quiet. You know. He was my roommate on the road uh, in 69 and he was, he just stayed in the room. He wasn't very social, but he's a really friendly guy. He's a great player. I mean, he's a guy you could tell had the moves out at second base. You know, he had the hands and he had the feet and it's so important to be like that. He was a, he was almost like a dancer. He was so nimble, but as far as hitting, he think he, he didn't have much power. Right. He was a slap hitter, right? Yeah, but I mean, he went as pretty far for the ability he had. I know he, how did he die? Did he die of cancer? Yeah, I'm not sure. I know he passed away. I know he was down in Florida doing construction and uh, we just kind of lost, we lost touch with him, but I know he did pass away uh, fairly recently. Well, he was a good roommate, uh, very quiet. Reading the book, one of the chapters I was surprised to see was Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson seems to pop up every every book i read reggie jackson somehow makes makes his appearance he he has that kind of magnetic personality right he's he is a force you know he's i played against him when he was 18 when i was playing semi-pro ball he was playing for asu's winter team it was so i see this guy out on the field and you you could tell this guy was a you know he was he moved around like a big cat is what he was. He, he knew he was strong. But he had a home run to left center on this field we were playing. It didn't have a fence. It just had those old knockdown uh, telephone poles for cars to park up into. I chased the ball out into the desert with all the saguaro cactuses and the, the jump and the mesquite trees. And when I finally got to the ball, I turned around. I barely could see first base dugout. He was already sitting down. That's but he, I played on the same team with him in winter ball. 
you know, and I'm not a green fly or anything. You know, he was an athlete. I was an athlete. But I knew he was way above my level. And he was playing right field. He took my job in, in winter ball. So I, it, it didn't bother me because I found he like 29 dingers the year before. So I didn't even play in the big league. I was in A ball. Yeah. So we, we welcomed him. He was fun. He had an attitude. We loved that. He was cocky. And uh, it was just, he rubs off, you know, if you're, if you didn't like Reggie Jackson, there, there's something wrong with you and the sports writers that ripped him for whatever reason, I don't know. Cause we loved him. And of course, you know, he did so well when he played. Well, I was reading you reading the book, finishing it up in, in one of the, near, near the end of the book, I believe you hit, you start, you mentioned one of my uh, former guests, uh, Rose Skidmore, who, right. Who is who? Who had who his one for one in the major leagues, and I had Ro Ro on the on the podcast a while ago, and and I texted him and I said, Ro, I'm going to talk to Mike to tomorrow. Well, you know, and he said, Well, tell tell him uh, tell him the Cowboys said hello, and he is uh, he said you guys you and him used to uh, sing uh, country music on the bench in Denver. Yeah, we did. We uh, well, he's a country boy, and you know, he's always from Illinois, but. He and I would go out to the Shepler's cowboy, you know, clothing stores and buy hats and things like that, boots. But the good story about Rose, I played against him like three or four years. I got sent up to AAA to Denver where he already was. You know, and he was an outstanding player, hitter. And uh, so I knew Rose from playing at San Antonio a couple of years earlier. And he was really a friendly guy. So I'm down in Columbus, Georgia, and I get sent up. And the player coach down there named Bob Cluck, he used to be the pitching coach for the Tigers, good friend of Alan Trammells, said, now look, he goes, the manager up there at Denver is a guy named Frank Verdi, and he hates me. So whatever you do, don't mention my name or ring, ring his bell about me. I said, hey, no problem, no problem. So... As it turns out, I take a flight from uh, Columbus, Georgia to Denver in a thunderstorm. Lightning hit the plane, and I had a couple of Jack Daniels on the way. And we were playing that night against the Houston Astros. So I get to the park early, and uh, I get my uniform on. I walk out there and sign my contract with the GM there. And uh, so I walk down to the dugout, and there's there's like 30,000 people in the stands. That's the biggest crowd I ever played against. So Rose sitting in the first base dugout and I, and I get in there and somebody's playing the organ up in the top, you know, the top deck in the press box and not, a, I'm a big music guy. I'm a critic and all. She wasn't doing a very good job or whoever it was playing Beatles music. So Verdi's sitting there with Cliff Cotonero's, no, Cliff Canazero. That is his name, yeah. Catcher with Mets calls it. So I'm talking to Roe, and I'm, this music just irritates me. I go, I step up on the out of the dugout, and I look up, I go, who in the hell is playing that terrible music? It was Frank Verdi's wife. <laughs> I, I didn't play for two weeks. He benched me. I, I was in the doghouse for two weeks, and uh, turns out he he had some problems and everything, but. Cluck likes to tell that story to everybody that uh, my first day in Denver, that was a great place to hit. If you ever wanted to hit a baseball when the, 
you're at 5,280 feet. That's the place to hit because the ball just carries unbelievable. Well, the last two chapters of the book, and we're speaking with Mike Floyd. Mike is author of a brand new book. It is an outstanding book. It is called uh, The Bush League Blues. It's available on Amazon. It's over 300 pages, and it's just story after story after story about former major leaguers and minor leaguers and, and Mike's career in the minor leagues. He played from 1967 to 1975 uh, with the Angels, the Dodgers, and the Astros um, minor league teams. And uh, there's all sorts of fun stories about um, his relationship with these, the guys and uh, some drinking stories and some funny stories and some baseball stories. It's a really entertaining book. But the last two chapters, Mike, you, you concentrate on um, your time in the Mexican League. And, right. and that that kind of um, that was kind of a in terms of just life, you know, you make a decision and then you see how it affects you later down the road. You, you, you make a split decision to play in Mexico and, and lo and behold, you know, something happens that, that kind of changes your life. Well, everything, I went down there with the prospects of having a good year and uh, possibly getting back up into the big leagues. Long shot, but that's why guys go down to the Mexican league. It's like this burial ground for, for, um, ball players have played five or six years so we started playing down there and uh, I was paired up with a really good hitter named Zelman Jack he hit third I hit fourth and we were smoking the ball pretty good playing in towns like Hermosillo, Obregón, Navajoa, Culiacán and we Jimmy Campanis was on that team um, I don't think anybody else Tom DeTore who's played with the Cubs but Zelman was the he was the nugget down there. He was worked with Roberto Clemente, Sanguian, and Willie Stargell on using a heavy bat. He used a 40-ounce bat. And, you know, back then, that was, that was pretty heavy. And we were standing around the batting cage. He's hitting these balls, like killing them to the opposite field. He's, he's right-handed. And I can't believe this guy's hitting these balls that far. And he throws, flips his bat out. It was a Richie Allen, 40-ounce Adirondack. He's laying there. I go, good God, you can swing this? So as the a, as a year progressed, we won. We beat people. We, we had our ups and downs. Uh, but he had 16 home runs after three months. I had nine. And he was – he died mysteriously in Wasabi and as it turned out, we left the team because we figured out it was dangerous down there. There was no medical facilities down there. He died with a skull fracture with no medical help. He laid on a gurney with a IV in his hand, in his wrist and just died two days. So we didn't want that. We left, we were upset. And when we left, we felt like our life was in danger and I think it was. And so when we got home, uh, we had, we got suspended for jumping the club and we had to go up to Pittsburgh, California and tell his parents how he passed away as much as we could. We weren't there when he had this traum traumatic injury, but we knew what happened after that and it wasn't good. And it's funny. I always, I, I surmise that, he could have taken over Clemente and Clemente died the very next year and Zellman was 25 and 
you never seen a anybody hit the ball that hard the other way. And so I, it's, it's a sad ending to, and we knew that once we jumped the club, that was it. You know, we're going to be in trouble. We did right. it. Anyway. Tommy was a big, tall picture. He came back with the cubbies. I was kind of buried after that. So I didn't never regain my stature, but it's, the book is built around that story because the story's never been told. 51 years ago, some people have tried to tell it, but they weren't there. I was there. You know, I saw him and uh, I saw what happened. And uh, it uh, now that it's been told, it's cleared up. His family is finally knows what happened down there. And it's still real sad, but uh, at least it's it's been told. And that's what's important to me as a journalist. Yeah, and as I said, you are, are certainly a raconteur and a storyteller, and I could speak to you for hours just talking about uh, minor league baseball and all the guys that you played with. But guys, pick it up. It's called Bush League Blues. It is available on Amazon. It just came out. Mike Floyd is the author. It's under G. Mike Floyd. Uh, his, his pen name, right? That's your pen name, right, Mike? Right. <laughs> the, the best way to get it is some people have been having with trouble with Amazon is to just Google Bush League Blues. And the Amazon link will pop right up and you can order it. So I would recommend that. Yeah, I did it. I did it just earlier. I think it's about $20 for the book. It, and it's yep. three, 300 pages. It is a fabulous book. Um, and it's like on, if someone, if someone wants Kindle to, too. I'm sorry, on, on Kindle, on Kindle too. too. Uh, that, that's how I got it. I got, I have it, I have it uh, uh, on Kindle that you sent to me and wow. I, I love holding the book. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a holding the book type guy, if you know what I mean. But if any of my, my listeners, because they're into collecting autographs and stuff, if they want to get a, uh, an autographed copy, is that something that you have available? Yep. Here's what they do is uh, I'm disabled and I cannot get around much. Getting The only way I'll do a book, sign a book, is for them to buy it and you know, send it from their home to me with return postage on, a, you know, on an envelope. Yep. And I'll sign it, put it in the envelope they send me that's got the postage, get it back to them in a day. All right, but, Mike, if you could, if you could just send me, your, uh, email me your uh, mailing address and I'll, put, I'll, I'll give it out to my listeners. So guys, if you want to get an autographed copy of Mike's book, just purchase it on Amazon and uh, send me a, a quick email to ttmcast at yahoo.com and I will send you Mike's address and he'll sign it for you. Uh, Again, pick it up. It's a great book. It is called Bush League Blues. It's available on Amazon. It's 300 pages. It is a fun read. It's a quick read. You're going to read about all the guys that Mike played for also with and all sorts of um, minor league legends and major league stars and Hall of Famers. And uh, Mike has touched them all in, in his time <laughs> as a major league, as a minor league ball player. And uh, you know, it's really interesting and, it, and it's a fun book. So, Mike, I want to thank you for, for writing the book and thank you for uh, for your time today. Thank you, Jeff. It's great. It was a great interview. I really appreciate it. Uh, being in the interview business myself, you know, you, you're really good. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Mike. Best of luck with the book and please stay in touch. Thanks. Take okay, care. Bye. bye. Mike, hold on. Okay. We're going to, I'm going to run this in a couple of weeks. And what I'll do is I'll send you a link. Well, Drew, we wrapped up another one. Father's Day edition in the books. We have all sorts of stuff coming up. We have all sorts of fun interviews that, uh, that I've been recording. Uh, we got a lot of great stuff. We've got all sorts of new listeners. If you're a new listener, 
thank you very much for, for listening. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully you're, you're sticking around. Uh, we have a new show every week. If you're an old listener and, and you've been with us uh, all this time, we thank you as well. Please, Drew, how do they send us uh, an email or, or, or send us the feedback? That would be at ttmcast at yahoo.com. Well, guys, go pick up uh, Mike Floyd's book. It's called Bush League Blues. It's available on Amazon. It is 300 pages of fun. I highly recommend it. Hopefully you enjoyed my interview with Mike. Thank you very much, Mike, for joining us. We might have Mike on a, uh, on a future uh, episode because he's such a good storyteller. I really enjoyed talking with him. I want to thank Les Wolf for his insight and expertise. Um, we just had, a, we have all sorts of stuff. Drew's got a big week coming up. He's going to get some autographs at the at a, a, a minor league game on Sunday. Um, I'm, I've got a couple things planned. Uh, I don't think I have any collecting things planned for a little while. I'm trying to save my money, you know, Drew? Yep, yep, definitely. So I think that is it. Next week, we have Connor Walden, who is CEO and founder of BuySportsCards.com, which is a new marketplace. And we're going to talk to Connor about uh, what's going on in the hobby. We're going to talk to him about uh, by his marketplace. And uh, just kind of, it's really cool to talk to somebody that's really trying to make an inroads in the hobby and make the hobby his, his livelihood. And uh, Connor's a young guy and he's, he's starting this new company and it, it's really uh, fun to talk to him about what's going on. Drew, you got anything else? Nope. That's about it. I mean, getting stuff going with the national trip and everything, got all my hotels booked this week. So I finally have a moment to kind of take a breath and relax a bit until I have to buy cards for it. So uh, just enjoying the week, uh, t- hopefully taking the week off mostly from anything related to that. All right. Well, have fun. Good luck with your, your band this, uh, this weekend and, and have fun at the show. Um, you know, let's watch the abs go abs. We've got the abs yep. going this week in the Stanley cup finals against Tampa Bay. And, uh, I think that's about it. I, that, we're going to wrap up the show. I want to thank you guys for listening and wish everyone many happy returns. We'll see you next week.